morning. Can I just say a word of appreciation to um, all those who filled our pulpit over the last number of weeks? So appreciate Dylan and Pastor Stephen uh, uh, continuing us through our series, the questions that God asked. And then it was wonderful to have uh, one of our missionaries and part of our mission staff, Robert Mullen, with us as he's sharing about the SAMO project and, and uh, partners. And then, of course, uh, Brother Harold Vaughn. It was wonderful to have Harold with us. I, I have not yet listened to all the messages, but I did get a chance to listen to Harold's as we were actually on the road that day. And I tell you what, he was fired up. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it and appreciated the message. And uh, so, so we're not going to be whiners or wimps, right? We're not going to be whiners or wimps. But we're going to believe God for what he has for us. And we're going to be victorious in that. Well, we're back. And uh, my, how good it is to be back. Can I just say, Jessica and I are so grateful to you, uh, for you, uh, for allowing us the time away and for giving us this experience. We had never taken a sabbatical before. And uh, it was a lot of new for us and a lot of things that we learned. Um, I think our time away just reminded us again how grateful we are for you in this place that God has us. A couple scriptures, they're not overhead, but to frame what I'm about to say this morning, Psalm 35 verse 18 says, I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng, I will praise you. First Chronicles chapter 16 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Psalm 66 says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I just want to tell you a little bit this morning about our time away. Um, and through it, God's birthed the sermon. I thought in some ways I would head off all the questions about how did your sabbatical go. And rather than have it on repeat about a hundred times, I thought, well, maybe I'll just share. And then as I began to prepare, I, the Lord just gave me a message out of my time away. We just want to say thank you for the time to renew and to be refreshed. You know, the sabbatical was designed in such a way to pull our pastors out of the routine of ministry, out of the emergency and routine daily tasks out of the leadership involvement here at Catawba for a four-week period so that we might renew and we might experience God's refreshment. And so we spent uh, quite a number of weeks. We spent four weeks away. The first week I took personally and privately. I was away about four days by myself, hidden away in a cabin in the mountains of North Carolina and uh, just spending some time with the Lord. And then I was home a couple days, and Jessica and I hit the road, left Ashland with family, and we were down at the Cove for six days. You all sent us down there, and we combined a couple's retreat with a pastor's retreat. Uh, that was a highlight of our time away. Then I was home for about nine days, just kind of resetting and trying to disconnect from uh, things. And then our last week, we were nestled up in a cabin again in the Blue Ridge Mountains, but this time as a family. And um, in our time away, there was a lot that took place, but there was a lot of praying, a lot of uh, reading, and a lot of time with the Lord. I didn't really know how to go into a sabbatical because I had never taken one before, but I did know I just wanted to get away and spend some time with God and spend some time with family, and so I'm thankful that's uh, what we did. Uh, it gave us time to reflect and to refocus on what God has done in our life. 
You know, sometimes we get so busy and caught up in the motions of life that we, stu- that we don't even pause to, to consider all that God has done. And, you know, if we were just to stop, you personally stop and think back over this year, the things that God allowed for you to experience, his good graces and the gifts that he has given through people and through his sovereign hand, I'm sure you would just be blown away at the goodness of God. And so we, we did that. We spent time reflecting on what God has done. And, and for me personally, and I think Jessica and I together, it was a time of just asking and praying for God to show us how we might best steward our gifts in this next season that we are in. As we're entering into a new season here, coming back, how, how, how might we steward our time and our talents and our treasure for God's kingdom? And so a lot of time was spent just prayerfully thinking and praying and considering, God, what is it that needs to change in my life? What needs to change in our life? And, 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 and what needs to change in and through our ministry to the church that you have called us? And so we spent a lot of time doing that, and I came back on Monday, and every day since this week has felt like a Monday, but a good Monday, and I'm kind of thinking next week will be all Mondays as well, but... We did discover this, that there was every bit of time of off-ramping and on-ramping into the ministry. I think if, if I would make any change next time we do this is to account for some of that time and thinking about the time that that takes. Um, you know, I, I was trying to ease down. I was trying to tie up my to-do list like any of you would when you're going away for a week on vacation. You need to get everything done. And so I mentally was just trying to get as many things done as I possibly could and finish up. And I remember Claude Horn said to me a week before I was about to leave, he says, hey, you know, brother, you need to start slowing down now so that you can benefit from sabbatical. Well, that was great advice. A little too late, though, because I, I was, that was on Thursday before I left. And so I uh, you know, it, it's, uh, here's how I describe it. It's like going 80 miles an hour down the interstate trying to take a hard right onto a 25-mile-an-hour ramp, and you have to slow down. There, there's this lead-in to sabbatical, and then I found coming back this week, you all have not slowed down, even though I have. And so in some ways, I'm trying to jump on a moving merry-go-round, at least that's a bad analogy because hopefully we're going somewhere, right? We're not just going in circles. But you get my point. We're, we're trying to jump on and then, and then jump off. And, um, and so uh, through that, we have learned some things. Like I said, I've never done this before. And although I'm grateful that it's a part of the rhythm now in the life of our pastoral staff, I found myself as I was preparing to get away really anxious about being away. I'm a type A driven personality. If you didn't know that, um, I'll let you know it this morning. I- I'm a go, 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 goer. And um, even a couple of weeks before we were on sabbatical, I said to my wife, I said, you know, I'm just trying to figure out the three or four things that I'm going to accomplish while we're away. And Jessica looked at me. She says, that's not the point of a sabbatical. And I said, well, you know, I got to have some spiritual thing to show for it. You know, like the church has been so gracious and given us four weeks. And how do I even account for that? And so I sure have to come back with having done something, you know. But I realized the point of a sabbatical is to cease from your work and to experience the deep rest that God gives. I read a lot of books while I was away. One book in particular that really meant a lot to me is called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. You you're not a pastor in ministry, but you would really benefit from this because the point of the book is not about necessarily ministry sabbatical as it is daily, weekly Sabbath. And uh, he walks through uh, some things in his book that were so helpful for me because as I, as, as I began to 
get ready to leave, I, I became anxious that I would be lazy. And I'm not a lazy person. I mean, if you know me, I'm not a lazy person. And so I, 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 I'm struggling with how, how do I go into four weeks of doing nothing but spend time with God and family and then somehow feel like I accomplished something? And, and Mark said something in his book that so struck me. He said, leisure... I'll read it so I don't get it wrong. <laughs> leisure is Sabbath bereft of the sacred. Leisure is Sabbath bereft of the sacred. You see, there's a lot of people in our world today that are pursuing leisure. That's what we do every time we take a family vacation. We're expecting to have some time for leisure. But you know, if you're really honest, even the seven, nine days you spent on a cruise, in some ways may not have seemed that restful. And that is because although while you're enjoying the time of leisure, leisure falls incredibly short of experiencing deep soul rest. And in my time away, it reminded me just how spun up and how fast-paced our lives are and how much we allow our lives to be that way. And in an effort to somehow uh, feel better and, and, and relieve ourselves of the pressures or the burdens of where we are at, all of us inevitably begin to imagine some place where our burdens and our anxieties would be taken away. It's kind of our ideal dream of a, of a perfect vacation, you know. And I don't know what your dream is that you have when you find yourself incredibly under-pressured and stressed and burdened and you just want away. I don't know the place that you dream up. You know, it might be a little strip of sand on a beach and you're sunbathing for 10 days. For some of you, you're like me and you'd rather whisk away into the mountains and look out on the deck over a snowy capped mountains with a hot cup of coffee. You might like to be on a cruise ship and, and traveling. And, or maybe for you, it's just your ideal of a, of a getaway is all the thrill of adventure. It's all the new sights, the new tastes, the new experiences. And you know, in a typical response to the burden and the stress that all of us face is that we want to flee from it. How many of you have ever been there before? You've been under such pressure, whether it's family, financial, job-related, and you're just saying, I, I just need to get away. But it misses out on soul rest if, if the leisure is bereft of the sacred. It reminds me of what the response of Judah is recorded for us in Isaiah's book. In Isaiah chapter 30, listen to what God says. Thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest is your salvation. And in quietness and trust is your strength. You see what God is telling his people? God is reminding his people that in the midst of all their challenges and the adversities and the, the situation that they are in, that, that it is in repentance and in rest is their salvation and in quietness and in trust is their strength. But God said you would have none of it. You said we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You know, and the feeling of fleeing only personifies what we think. We, we somehow are pressured in life and we start saying to ourselves, if only I could, then I would. If only I could have, if, if only I could go, if only I didn't have, and then, 
and we fill in the blank. And, and, and what's happening is for all of us in our pressure, in our absence of experiencing a, a weekly deep Sabbath of soul rest, we want to flee from where we're at. And what happens is the feeling of wanting to flee in of itself becomes our captivity because we constantly, no matter how many times we're away, if we don't truly experience a deep soul rest, we'll never experience all that God has for us. Because God's solution for the stressed out, anxious hearts that all of us experience is not a seven-day vacation. He actually offers something better than our own fantasies, and that is God offers us rest. Could you turn to your neighbor and tell him this morning that God offers us rest? Can you tell him this morning? God offers us rest. Could you say it that with me? Say it loud this morning. God offers us rest. And how does God offer us rest? In himself. In himself. See, leisure is Sabbath, bereft of the sacred. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, one of the greatest challenges in our world today to experience this deep soul rest is that for many of us, we fall short of a weekly Sabbath. And we settle in turn for leisure, which does not minister deeply to our soul. You know, God tells us in the very beginning of his book, he says in Genesis chapter 2, that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. You see, God worked six days of creation, and on the seventh he rested. God did not rest because he was emotionally exhausted. He did not rest because he needed to. God rested as a model for us, his creation, so that we might see, even from the beginning of creation, from the order of creation, how this world is to operate, that you and I exert ourselves and work and labor six days of the week, but on the seventh we rest. I'm telling you, that is foreign in America today. Especially in Baptist churches, you know, we, we push up against that commandment. Like, there's nine, of the new t- uh, there's nine of the Ten Commandments reiterated in the New, but not the Sabbath. And we're really big about the Lord's Day, not the Sabbath. And we get all hung up on, the, on, on, on things that God never wanted us to get hung up on. I mean, you read in the Old Testament, God gave the Sabbath to his people as a gift. As a gift, He said some other nations might work seven days a week trying to labor and provide for themselves, but God says, I'm going to allow you to work six, and I'm going to reward you as if you work seven. And all along, it was to be a gift to bless the people of God, to cease from their labor and to rest in him. You know what we've done in our man-made, the Pharisees did it, we do it. We rationalize and legalize and somehow justify how we don't need that. I love that Jesus healed so many people on the Sabbath. (laughs) It was as if Jesus was just like, you know, blowing up the system of, of their thoughts. And when he says that the Sabbath is a benefit to you and for me, at the outset this morning, I realized that, you know, although a sabbatical would truly, I think, benefit every one of us, I found myself as I was getting away feeling like, why do I deserve to go away when many of you are not? And I read, and I, and I don't normally do this, so if you're with us this Sunday, I hardly ever read a quote this long, but I was reading this book once again, and 
the writer himself had taken a personal sabbatical and I read it three days in to my time away and it, it, it like was a knife to the heart. It, it, it cut me so deep, I felt like I resonated with everything he is saying. And then as I prepared for this morning, I said, I could not say it any better than he said it. So I want to read you what he says. He says, as I left for sabbatical, many people in my church wished me well. They told me they'd miss me and that they'd be praying for me. They hoped that I'd come back refreshed, and then they usually said, you deserve this. I don't. I can think of all people who deserve it. A single mother who works three jobs to ensure kids have a decent home and good clothes. A couple who has been working 12-hour days, more than six days a week for many years, trying to keep the small business from sliding over the edge. A tradesman who never has time for a holiday when the work is on and never has the money for one when it is not. A mill worker who shifts change like the clouds so that he has seen the inside and out of every hour of every day and now never quite sleeps and never fully wakes. I can think of all the people who do their jobs faithfully and capably, even though they die a little every day. I like what I do and I have not worked half as hard as half these people and few will ever be given the luxury of a sabbatical. No, I do not deserve it. It is a pure gift like being born in peacetime and not war, like being forgiven or kissed or told you have beautiful eyes. I never earned a minute of it. I don't deserve a scrap of it. But I feel deeply obligated to the people in my church who allowed it. Obligated not to come back smarter or thinner or more eloquent or more studied up, though all that could help. The obligation I feel is not to pay them back. These things don't work that way on some barter system where the church trades several months in exchange for shorter, pithier sermons. I feel the obligation I feel rather is to come back restored. It's not that I went out maimed, not really. There was another time a few years ago that if the door of sabbatical would have opened, I would have hobbled out and spent every time given just trying to piece myself back together, trying to find some dim, quiet room where the light did not sting my eyes, no loud voices startle me, but the door wasn't open then, I managed anyhow. This time, the time was handed for a sabbatical, and I went out spritingly, still swinging, still singing, still I feel I owe it to the church to come back restored. There's a passage that the Holy Spirit of God used in my life a number of times over and over again on the sabbatical. It's in John chapter 5. You've opened there with me this morning. Would you please stand as we read God's word together? John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It's a much longer story, although we'll only read the first part of it. There was after a feast of the Jews, Jesus went up to Jerusalem Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five Ruth colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. He said, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. May you be seated as we honor God's word through reading it. 
See, Jesus encounters this man in this pool of the Bethesda, and we're not really told, I really don't have the time this morning to enter into all the things that are happening in the story, but the belief is, at least whether it was superstition or real, that when the waters would be stirred up, there would be all of these lame and sick and invalid people laying there, and that the first person into the water would be healed. And so here is this man, he's a real man in a real place with a real problem. It's easy for us to gloss over the story without thinking about who this man was. He was 38 years old that he had been in this condition. Now, some of us aren't even 38 in this room, but for others of us, think back in our life, 38 years, that's a long, long time. He was not able to care for himself, had no family, he had no place of work. And Jesus' single-minded purpose was to walk there that day and restore this man. Jesus asked him this question that seems a little rather insensitive. Do you want to get well? You know, not everybody wants to get well. We read Jesus's question and we say, why is he asking that? Because he's asking for this man to confront if he really does want to be restored. Because you think about it, for 38 years, Although he could not be places, he experienced sickness and suffering. He laid on this narrow cot. For 38 years, he experienced the futility of that, the self-pity of that, the selfish envy of looking at other people who are well and wanting that. And now Jesus asked him this very simple question, do you want to be well? And notice the man's first response. It's not what? What do, we, what do we expect after hearing like Jesus healing people in villages? The word of Jesus by now has gone out, sure, far and wide. Here's Jesus standing before him asking him this question. Sir, do you want to be made well? And you would expect him to say what? Yes, I want to be restored. I want to be healed. But he doesn't. He gives an excuse as why it's not possible. He says, sir, when the waters happen, there's no one that can carry me in. He, he begins to rationalize and explain why he does not want to be confronted with being restored. He, he's describing really his situation of why he cannot be made well. And Jesus, in a word, 38 years of this man's suffering vanish as Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Someone has once said that restoration is a shock to the system. And you know, that's a question. I, I didn't go into sabbatical looking for this passage, but God used this passage through sabbatical in a number of places. And I kept seeing it. And about the sixth or seventh time, I thought, maybe God's saying something here. And so I started asking myself the question, do I want to be made well? And I wonder this morning, you know your life and the situation you're in and Often, sometimes, we long for something to be different, and we say, we have this imagination of the way that things are or should be, and God comes to us, and he asks us so personally that question, do you want to be made well? Because when I answer that, it implies that I'm what? I'm not well. I'm not well. It implies that there's something in my life that needs to change. 
It implies that there's something in my life that, 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 that I am either content in or I've grown content of. And I wonder as you think about your own personal spiritual life this morning, things may not be certainly where you would want them to be. But if Jesus were to come to you and just simply ask you the question, do you want to be made well? Do you? Do you really want that? There's a few things that God showed me in my time away, things that I share with you, not to put the emphasis on me, but through just a simple testimony this morning of what God's done in my life, maybe there's something here that would challenge you. The things in my life that God showed me over my time away, things in my life that certainly need to be changed is first this, my identity is in Christ, not what I do. My identity is in Christ, not what I do. And I think, honestly, had we sat down and talked before I went away, I would tell you my identity is not a pastor. I know that. I know that very clearly, that I am who I am apart from what I do. But however, when you think about it, and the weeks away caused me to think about it, so much of my life is wrapped up in this place. My responsibilities as a pastor are here. Some of the most deepest, meaningful relationships for my wife and I are in this place. Some of my closest friendships are here. This is the place where I worship. This is the place where I do ministry. This is the place where I do activity. Actually, I can probably count on one hand the things in my life that I do that are not here. And when that happens, I realize that it's easy for all of those things to get intertwined that before long, you begin to think a reflection of how the church is doing is a reflection of yourself or the other way around. And as, my, as I was away, the Lord showed me, really kind of revealed to me that, that it showed me who I am as a person. Not that I had forgotten it. Just I think so much of it has gotten wrapped up in what I do. And so the time away allowed me to have time to really kind of develop a personal plan for growth in our life. You know, we often settle for where we are, who we are, just because we're not putting in the effort that God wants us to put into the right things. And God showed me, you know what, there are things that desires the things that I have that I want to become, but better yet, there are things that God wants me to be. And how much effort have I put into that in my own life? And so I'm asking these questions of me as maybe you ask them for you. I realize that we need to cultivate a better rhythm. I need a better rhythm in my life to be the person that God wants me to be so that I can bless the people that God wants me to bless. And, and, and it showed me that first and foremost, more than anything else, that I need to be growing deeply in my relationship with God. That, that supersedes anything that I do here, whether I preach or visit or care or pray for people, that first and foremost, God has somebody that he wants me to be. And I put effort into being that person. And so I was so helped by taking some things and putting into a rhythm of things and realizing that, my identity is in Christ, and God, God looks at us because of how he looks at Christ. My work is not in what I've done, but it's in Jesus. Psalm 18, verse 19, he brought me into a broad place, and he rescued me because he delighted in me. Do you know why God's blessed you in your life? Do you know why God pours out? his blessings and salvation and in the gifts of this life, it is not because of what you've done. 
but it's because he simply delights in you. That you are who you are apart from your job. You are who you are apart from the image that your kids shape for you. You are who you are. And there's a person that God wants you to be. And he wants you to be completely surrendered to him. And he wants you to delight in him because he delights in you. So I ask myself, I ask you, are we actively pursuing becoming the person that God wants us to be? Secondly, God reminded me that my greatest ministry is my family. God has given me a wife and a daughter. And serving in ministry with my wife is a great privilege, but it is not the center of our relationship. My primary point of connection with my wife is not that we're ministry partners at Catawba Valley Baptist Church, but it is that she's my wife, and I love her, and she loves me. You know, it took me nine days on sabbatical before I stopped talking about the church. Nine days. Finally, my wife looked at me at the couple's retreat. She looked over. She says, because I was trying to, you know, I'm, I'm on this off-ramp, and I thought I gave away everything, and there's things coming to mind. I'm having to shut things down, and I'm having to finish obligations. And I'm talking to her, and she says, you better stop doing that. You know, we get like nine days in, and I finish one last thing, and she looks at me. She says, now that'll be enough. <laughs> and I said, yes, ma'am. And I, and I, and I didn't, I, like, Stephen even tells me, he says, you know, when you were away, there was like this day where he like, you said something to me? And I was like, that'll be the last I hear from him. And it was. But you know, I realized that God's given me a wife and a daughter, and that's my primary. Not my ultimate, but it, it is primary. I think in some ways, maybe my priorities were a little out of whack. So Jessica and I put together some personal development plan on our family, taking time to, after nine days, it allowed us to say, it allowed me to stop talking about church and start just talking about us as a couple and, and re-engaging and reigniting and just, wow, we have things to talk about apart from the church, you know? It's, it's, it seems strange to you, but it's, it's not strange to me. Charles Kittinger, said this, he says, all of the rest of your lives are going to be lived in the future unless you spend so much time wishing you had lived them in the past. Therefore, I would like to make the future just about as nice a place to live in as I can think of. And so it caused Jessica and I, I think, in our marriage and our family to say, what's the direction we're headed as a couple, as a family? How, are, how am I being the person God wants me to be as a loving husband to my wife, as a present father to my daughter? I'll tell you this honestly, before I went away, I would have told you I was giving priority to those things. I would tell you that they were important to me. And my time away kind of showed me that there are things that I need to be more present in. You know what that might mean? That might mean me saying, I can't, or no, I can't do that. It might mean, you know, I love being a part of committees and helping in that, but, but it might mean I need to miss a meeting. It, it might mean that I miss a church function. Um, because once again, one person is not the entire body of Christ, and, and, and you don't need me, and I, and I, I, I need... I can't be who God wants me to be here if I'm not who God wants me to be at home. First Timothy says, how can you care for the church of God if a pastor first does not manage his own household well? That doesn't mean everybody's in control. That, that means that he's being who he needs to be at home. 
So it's caused me to focus on what are my primary pastoral duties. There's a lot of things I do, but what are the primary things? What are the things in this season? And I ask that for you. You know, it doesn't take being away to realize sometimes things are not the way they need to be. And, and I wonder, are there things in your life today that seem a little inflated, little things out of the order of the way they ought to be? And, and maybe you have just enough sense today to realize that there is a priority of something greater that I'm missing out on because I'm saying yes to too many lesser things. And finally, one of the main things is that it clarified once again what it means to steward my calling well in this new season. Showed me that I need to better equip and empower the right people. Actually, God's given us the right people. Can't put too much on myself and get discouraged when I can't do it all. Someone sent me this and it was so helpful that we cannot control the outcomes, but we can control our effort in it. I think I realized over sabbatical I was trying too hardly to control the outcomes, hoping that I would be a faithful pastor if I got the right thing done and somehow things looked the way that I thought they should look. But I can't control the outcomes. But I can control my effort. And I can trust God with my outcomes. It's really a two-sided coin of owning the responsibility for the effort that I need to put forward and trusting God with the outcomes that he will do. Same is true in your life. It's easy to push off where you want to be in life or who God wants you to be because you think somebody else isn't doing what they should do. But God's not looking at that other person with you. He's looking at you. He's looking at you and he's, he's asking you to own the effort and trust him with the outcomes. You know, a healthy fear is a good fear, but a wrong fear is a terrible taskmaster. And too many of us live our lives controlled by a fear. A fear of not performing, a fear of not doing well, a fear of loss. fear of the unknown, and so in an effort to try and squelch the unknown, we try to solve an outcome. And God's ways are so much higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and God is asking each of us, trust me, trust me. Do what God's called you to do, and trust God with the outcome. Some of us are stressing ourselves over the outcomes. And God wants you to get more concerned with your effort. So you know what? This whole time away has shown us as a family that we are where God wants us. It showed us that we're so grateful for where he has us. But you know, it really reminded me that it doesn't take a sabbatical to experience those things. We probably would realize it if we just took a weekly Sabbath but a lot of us don't do that, at least not consistently every week. And I wonder how might your life be different if you simply arranged one day a week on your calendar, whether it's Sunday, whether it's Monday, whether it's Saturday, but you took an entire day for worship, to center yourself in Christ and to be reminded of who he is, And to cultivate some healthy rhythms in your life of things that are necessary and needed so that you remember who is provider. 
so that you remember how little your effort goes apart from God. And God might grow us in our dependence. He might grow us in our trust. And he might deepen our relationships with him because we realize that we are not the savior of the world. He is. He is. And he cares so much about our life. I think God has so much he wants to say to us. And it's not that God is not speaking. It's often that we are not listening. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. They, they utter his knowledge from morning to night. So it, it certainly is that God does not have things he wants to say to you. I believe the Lord has things that he wants to say to you that would help you take this next step in your Christian life. But will you quiet yourself long enough to listen and long enough to anchor your soul in a God who is completely trustworthy? Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for how you've grown us and challenged us. Lord, I know as just as much as I've shared from my time away, others in this room could share about how it blessed them. And so, Lord, we pray that as a church, as a congregation, Lord, we would get utterly concerned with being the people that you want us to be. Lord, forgive us for how little effort we've shown in that. Forgive us, God, for the times that, that we've walked apart from you. And we've missed out on your blessing. We've missed out on, on what you would give and show and your presence in our life. Lord, I was reminded in my time away by what one of the speakers said, that when we run out of gas, we run into grace. And so, Lord, I pray for this church this morning that we would remember your grace. And that right now in our life of where we're at, that that the weapons you've given us to live victorious is your power. It's your promises. And it's your presence. And Lord, on a many day, we fail to pick up those weapons to live victorious because we're just so consumed with ourselves. We're too consumed with something else. And, and so Lord, help us to see all that's at our disposal, all that's at our fingertips, all that you would do in our life. And You asked us the question, do we want to be made well? Lord, I pray that you would restore and continue what's begun. Lord, may we continue to plant the right things to reap the right harvest. And so we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. This morning, would you just bow your head before the Lord? You're not going to come forward. I just want to give you opportunity to respond in how God spoke through the message this morning. And I think the biggest response would be, is there a time in your week where you're quieting yourself and you're seeking God in Sabbath? You're, you're not leisure for leisure's sake, but you're experiencing something that's truly sacred. And if it's not, the invitation this morning would be, well, when is it going to be? Because do you really want to be well? Lord, we're so amazed this morning at your amazing love, your grace that reaches deep. 
Lord, we're thankful that, um, that there's still something you're doing in our life because we're still breathing this morning. And I pray that by your grace, you would help us to become the people you want us to become. So that, God, this church looks more and more like the body of Christ, looks more and more like the image of Jesus. And that, Lord, more and more blesses our community in the way that you have blessed us. So we ask these all, all these things, Lord, in your name this morning, I pray. All God's people said, amen.